What's going on, folks? It's your boy here, Doc Sean Thomas, back in the building again with episode 34 of the Be More Today show. We are back. We are back. We are back. And, folks, I'm happy that this is election week. Uh, it's been a fun, fun, fun journey uh, hearing debates and watching so many people say different things um, about our country and about how we are looking at ourselves and seeing ourselves and what we want to change in this world. And it's been an incredible journey. And I had the opportunity to vote early this week. Um, I, I, I ran out of work on Friday, picked up my daughter, came home, and I said, let me just try the polls and see what they look like. And they closed at 5 o'clock. I got there at 4 o'clock, and I literally, there was no wait. I got in there. I did my voting thing. Uh, told my wife. I went home, got her, brought her back by fire. So we all voted just in time. And uh, we got our votes in. And I'm just happy that, uh, that we did it. Um, it's something that we all as Americans should really uh, not take it for granted. So many people died and fought so we could have that right just to go out there and, and state our claim to say, you know, how we feel, um, what, we, what we believe and who we want to stand for, um, for this or these next four years. So um, the quotation that comes to mind is actually from my hero, our hero, Chadwick Boseman, uh, Black Panther, of course. And he said, purpose is an essential element of you. And it's the reason you are on this planet at this particular time in history. Your very existence is wrapped up in the things you're here to fulfill. Uh, we all have journeys that you want to uh, take things you want to fulfill in our lives. But one thing is for certain for this election, um, your right to vote is something that is so near and dear to our hearts. So uh, if you haven't done so already, by the time you hit this podcast, it'll be Monday and you'll have at least two more days to go out there and do something. So go out there and vote. Um, it's what we all should do as Americans, as people. And uh, let's stop, stop talking about certain things and just start being about certain things. Put your money where your mouth is and go out and vote. Um, folks, for today, I, my guest is, is special to me because uh, I wanted to bring on someone who knows all about politics. And I've learned a lot about politics in my years growing up. Uh, but ever since I met this guy, he would just be talking and I would be taking notes, <laughs> recognizing that what he was talking about, I knew nothing about. And it's, inc it's incredible to me, the vast knowledge that he has, but it makes me recognize exactly where he is in this, in this life right now. It was no wonder what he's doing in this part of the venue for him. So his name is Dr. Dr. Christopher Banks. And Dr. Banks is presently a director of international relations program uh, at Union College in Lincoln, Nebraska. Dr. Brinks holds an honors bachelor's of arts degree in international relations from Bryan University, Bruno, you know, the best school ever, and a master's in international relations and affairs from Columbia University and DPhil studies in politics at the University of Oxford in the United Kingdom. Dr. Banks' professional experiences have included work on the International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor, Department of Defense Stabilization Capacities and Afghan Police Reform, at the United States Government Accountability Office, GAO, assisting U.S. Congressional and United Nations Liaison Offices of the General Conference of SCA at Seventh-day Adventist Church, and has completed analytical and volunteer work with several businesses, think tank organizations, including Washington Institute on Near East Policy and the Corporate Council on Africa. Dr. Banks is originally from Silver Springs, Maryland, and has happily resided in Lincoln since 2015. Ladies and gentlemen, Boys and girls, pets included, please welcome to the stage my friend from Brown University, Bruno, you know, Dr. Christopher R. Banks. Dr. Banks, what's going on? I'm doing well. Good to, good to see you. Good to be on the show. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I had to bring you on. Uh, it's election week. And there's no one else that knows more about international relations and politics than you. Uh, you and I met at Brown University. And the funny thing is, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you told the story to many people as well. Um, we met in the Ratty. Uh, we met in the Ratty on a Saturday morning. You and I both were seven-day Adventists. And for those of you who have been listening to the show, we go to church on Saturdays. So uh, we both met in the Ratty, and we didn't know 
each other, but we both were in the ratty and we sparked up a conversation. I think you actually initiated the conversation. And all of a sudden you recognize that you both were of the same belief, same faith, and just started talking about our experiences. And you actually were the one who uh, kept me grounded in terms of our faith uh, while at school. You know, um, everything from our Friday night worship services to um, going to church on Saturday at Emmanuel uh, and, and other places that we tried to go to and, you know, Saturday night dinner or lunches, um, you really helped me down. And um, I just wanted to really bring you on and, and affirm you and appreciate you and for all you've done for me in terms of just keeping me grounded during that time. And we've, we've connected ever, ever since and every birthday on either side, we've always connected. So I appreciate that as well. Um, but I, I know that when you were at Brown, you studied international relations and, and oh, probably sci. And when I saw you at Columbia, we connected there for a while because you were in New York and I was in New York. So you've always had a knack for this thing. And it's just fascinating to see your growth to where you are now. Um, so I want to bring you on the show and just say thank you for your hard work. And I'm just proud of you. I'm just proud, proud, proud of all the stuff you've done. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> So, no, no, no. I, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that, uh, Sean. And, um, and honestly, it goes both ways. It goes both ways. I mean, yes, every time I talk about uh, brown years, you are absolutely at the top of the list. I was just telling my wife the other day, I said, you know what? I just, Sean is a really, really tight, good friend. And I just, I just, I just appreciate that. So it's not a one-way street. It absolutely goes both ways. Awesome. Right. And then don't forget, you can dance and I can't. So it all even <laughs> uh, But I, I love, I love, I love uh, the Be More Today show and podcast. I, I, I absolutely gel with that title, Be More Today. I share that feeling. I support that feeling. And I'm happy to be on this podcast today. Awesome. So Dr. Brinks, just give us a brief little update. How's your family doing? Uh, how have you guys been doing with COVID-19 and all else that's been happening in 2020? Yeah, yeah. So 2020 has been such a wonderful year. If anybody wants to repeat it, they're crazy. <laughs> and, uh, and basically, uh, yeah, uh, we've been out here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, uh, I've been out here, especially at Union College, but then just the whole family, myself, my wife, uh, Ama and, and our, and our little, uh, two-year-old girl, uh, we've been out here in Nebraska from 2015 and yeah, there are upticks, um, you know, to tie it into a little bit of what we can even talk about later on uh, in the show. Um, Britain is announcing that they're doing a second closure. Uh, France is thinking about doing a second closure. There's really been an uptick worldwide. And even here in the, uh, uh Midwest region of the United States, there's definitely been an uptick. We're looking at about, uh, now, of course, I'm not a health expert, but, you know, we're following closely uh, here um, at the Union College and then all the other colleges in the area, Nebraska Wesleyan and uh, University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We're looking at about 63, estimated 63,000 cases um, here in Nebraska. Uh, there are two major cities, Omaha, about 500,000 people, Lincoln, roughly about, you know, between 250, 300,000 people. Um, and it's, 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 it's nothing to play around with. So uh, I'm pretty pleased on a personal level that um, at least Lincoln city government has been um, trying to get more testing out there. But as we'll, we'll speak further, it's election season and COVID-19 has been politicized. Uh, Nebraska has not been an exception to that. And by all means, you know, Nebraska, excellent state, um, you know, wonderful, wonderful state here, uh, but we just need to remain vigilant. So there's been an uptick in the Midwest and uh, we're keeping ourselves safe, as I'm sure. And I'm hoping everyone else is too. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, it, we've, we've had our share of those cases here in New York, clearly. And although we, I think, got through hopefully the worst of it, even here, there are upticks happening, you know, every, every, every area, little hot spots popping up every now and then. So um, we all have to be vigilant and just continue to, wear our masks, social distance, and all the things that we've been told to do for the most part. So um, I appreciate your sentiment for that, and, and I hope that we all continue to do so. Um, Chris, you have always been someone who was interested in history, uh, 
politics, international relations, all these things. Where did this come from? Like, where, what sparked this interest in at least international relations and, and your passion for uh, absorbing so much information about all these different things? Yeah, yeah. Um, it is true that for as long as I can remember, I was always interested about, as you said, history, but especially global history. Um, you know, even when I was little, uh, yeah, of course, I was a nerd. I was kind of geeking out on things. Um, I always enjoyed parts of world history that we usually didn't hear about in, in elementary school or high school. So, of course, we always heard about the Roman Empire and everything like that, which is fine. Everyone enjoys a good gladiator now and then. <laughs> but, um, but I especially was interested in things like Moorish Spain and the Mughal Empire in India. And uh, when I was 16, I wrote a play on the uh, Atkia Mohammed Ture, who was like the most phenomenal emperor of the Songhai Empire in West Africa. Uh, I always just enjoyed the edges of, of global history. And I like the big picture. I love the big picture. I like seeing how um, the gold in West Africa is connected to the Renaissance paintings that we see in Europe. Um, you know, how many gold mines were in Europe during the Renaissance? Well, you know, zero that I know of, or at least very, very few. Most of that gold that you're seeing on halos and everything in Italian Renaissance paintings, are coming, it's coming directly from West Africa. So, you know, these are things that we generally, I mean, being a professor myself, I well understand the pressures of time and not being able to cover everything. But uh, just when I was little, I was always interested in that. Um, then also, uh, kind of around the time just before, uh, I came into the world. My, my mother lived for a little while um, in Saudi Arabia, in Riyadh, and so she would, she would uh, tell stories about that. Um, uh, I had a cousin who was living in Zurich, Switzerland for, for a good long while, um, and then uh, my uncle, so my mother's sister's uh, husband, um, he, was, he was a diplomat for, for Senegal for, for a while in the 80s. So I, I guess I I was exposed to that, um, and being exposed, you know, I like it. If anybody's familiar with um, Gary Chapman's book, The Love Languages, uh, there are two love languages uh, uh, that I have, which are uh, receiving gifts and quality time. And so that's, I mean, that's pretty much diplomacy, right? Sitting down, eating, talking about stuff, <laughs> and, and wishing people happy birthday, which <laughs> I do naturally. As I know you know, um, so that that just gelled with my character, just gelled with my character, and, um, and I like making friends. You know, I like making friends. I like being with people. I like learning about people. I like learning about cultures, and I like seeing that big picture and those those connections. So it it, it really has been a, a just very good fit. Mm. Been a very good fit. Now, can you describe your your journey? I mean, I, I was with, with you at Brown clearly, and I saw all you did there, but can you describe a journey from Brown to where you are now, just for those who are interested and, and curious about what the road is for someone who is interested in what your field is? Yeah. So um, I will always say we need uh, more people of color in international relations. Um, and when I say people of color, uh, maybe people of color um, within uh, Western civilization, um, uh, you know, I've, obviously a big theory about, you know, strengthening the United States and what have you. And, um, you know, uh, we need more, we need more people, uh, in international relations, especially at this time. Um, the world, the world system is going through a very strenuous time right now. This election is very critical, extremely critical to the world system. And uh, we've seen that you know, people in the state department have been kind of, to use the term frozen out, um, they haven't filled many positions, and so I just I just would like to even take you know the quick five seconds to just encourage um, more people of color to look in that direction. Uh, I know it's not the traditionally known route, right? Um, if someone says, "Okay, doctor," everyone knows what that is. If someone says "diplomat," they kind of you know people are like, "Well, will it pay the bills?" <laughs> right? And so. And so, yes, yes, it will pay the bills. I mean, provided you're good at your job, it will pay the bills. Um, so 
you know, what was, what was my route? Well, okay, fine. Sean, you know, very well, we were at Brown. Um, I always had a love for international relations. I came to Brown actually because of their international relations program. That's what brought me to Brown. Um, I had come and, uh, uh, and visited it, uh, the year before applying. And I saw that they had a very decent, the Watson Institute for International Studies. And that actually sealed the deal for me to go to Brown. If Brown did not have the Watson Institute for International Studies, I probably would not have selected Brown. So um, thanks, Watson, for, <laughs> you know, for existing. Um, so from there, you know, after finishing the undergrad, uh, and, and I concentrated on global security, because, um, you know, I don't know, bombs are my thing. So, so I got there in global security and looked at U.S.-Iranian uh, relations and the sanctions and everything going on between U.S. and Iran. My Farsi is not that great, but still, you know, wrote, wrote a thesis on that. Um, and then afterwards, uh, I worked for a while at the General Conference for the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the kind of world headquarters of the church down in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland. Um, and of course, it's a global church, so I worked in the Public uh, Affairs and Religious Liberty Office. Um, some fantastic work being done there on kind of religious liberty issues globally. Uh, for instance, there was an Azari uh, Shia Muslim pastor that was jailed by the government, and the Adventist Church was able to, to uh, discuss with the government, and uh, along with several other churches, and to get him freed. You know, seeing that just, again, um, really confirmed for me that I really did enjoy this stuff. Um, then, so I enjoyed it so much that I applied um, for a master's in international relations, um, ended up uh, selecting to go to Columbia University because they, again, had a very strong department, uh, more than a department, uh, entire uh, uh, um, degree program, uh, uh, the School for International Public Affairs, an entire school dedicated international relations. And it's in New York City um, and, you know, in Manhattan. Uh, and I enjoy where things link together. So the fact of being in class one moment and able to see things down at the United Nations the next moment was very interesting to me. Um, then after, after that, I worked at the Government Accountability Office for about a year and a half, um, working on uh, kind of several reports. Um, again, uh, my favorite, my favorite um, area uh, in GAO was international affairs and trade, right? Uh, where we worked on uh, the key issues of, uh, of uh, the Afghan police reform. So I got a chance to go to Afghanistan. I, I don't know if you know this, Sean. I ended up missing, I was so ready to go to our five-year reunion at Brown, and I ended up missing it because <laughs> the, uh, the, um, the, the travel was scheduled for the exact same time. A uh, little funny aside story is the fact that uh, I'm sitting out there in Kabul, in the capital of Afghanistan, right, surrounded by, you know, we're on the U.S. military base, you know, U.S. Army base, and uh, I'm on my computer doing whatever work, right? We're doing our meetings out there. And I get this email, ding, it comes in. It's like, Chris, so great to see you at the reunion. <laughs> and I said, that's great. I don't know who you saw, but I'm up here choking dust in Kabul. <laughs> but, um, but those experiences are, are always very formative. Those experiences are always very formative. Um, so um, really, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the, the uh, work and the teams that I was a part of during the GAO years. And then, of course, um, really to want to go further in my, in my studies of international relations and international politics, and then applied um, for the uh, University of Oxford um, about a year and a half later, and uh, did my dissertation on the audit system in Ghana and how they're managing uh, their oil for, for the last um, about 13 years. So, you know, um, like I said, be more today. It's, I mean, passion has a lot to do with it. You know, I always say passion plus rationality, uh, you know, is a, is a good stepping stone to success, if not success entirely. You know, you got to have the passion for what you're doing and then uh, competency. I even say the words to 
to my students. I mean, we're we're at a a kind of parochial religious um, school here in Nebraska, uh, from the Adventist College. So I always say Christ and competency. People have to trust you as, you know, trust in your character as a human being, and they have to trust that you know what you're doing, right? You know, if they can, if they can trust your character, but you have, you have no idea what you're doing, you know, nobody wants that. If you are wonderful at what you're doing, but they can't trust your character, well, nobody wants that either, right? Because office politics is tiring. That'll, that'll take a lot out of you, right? Nobody needs that stress. Life is stressful enough. So, uh, so that's what I say, Christ and competency, Christ and competency. Hmm. Yeah, that's, to me, that's, that's a solid mix. That's a solid mix. That's powerful. Um, <laughs> now, you are now the director of the Institutionalization Program, the BA program at Union College. How did that happen? What was that road like, and how does it feel? Yeah. Um, everything, I'm like a grandfather. Everything has a story. So, <laughs> so um, I, I am the founding director of, of the program. Uh, the college did not have an international relations degree or a program. They hired me and brought me out here uh, to establish it. Um, all right, so how did I end up here in, uh, in Nebraska, in Lincoln, Nebraska, it's the capital of the state? Um, well, I, you know, in coming back from the UK, um, obviously there are many choices of where to work. But I really, really wanted to, and this is always very cliche, people say they want to make an impact, and most people do. Um, but I just, I took the job to come out here to Lincoln, Nebraska, because I felt like I could make the most impact. I felt like I could make the most impact. I enjoy um, creating things. I enjoy building things from the ground up. I enjoy, in short, I enjoy seeing vision made into reality. I enjoy seeing vision made into reality. Um, yes, I, I know, right? You know, cue the theme music, but, but it's true. I really do enjoy that, um, as most men do, to be fair, as most men do. But I really do enjoy that, uh, and women too. <laughs> um, so, so basically, long story short, um, there was a uh, professor here that had retired after 35 years of teaching, and they wanted to fill the space for teaching non-European history uh, courses um, on Africa and the Americas and, um, and uh, certain parts of the Asian continent. Um, I was happy to do that because a lot of those courses kind of leaned towards um, what I specialized in, which is kind of global security affairs. Um, uh, nuclear proliferation, what have you. Uh, when I came out uh, here uh, for interviews, um, I had a wonderful discussion with uh, the de- department chair and then with um, several, several other um, uh, people here at the college uh, who actually had their own background in international uh, relations, but there wasn't an international relations program. Um, so I, I simply said, you know, I think that this is viable. I think that, um, Union College can support an international relations program to, uh, kind of train or help train, uh, you know, the next generation of international affairs experts, uh, both in the Seventh-day Adventist Church and then more widely in the Midwest. There are, there are uh, plenty of, uh, non-Adventists that attend Union College. Um, so I saw that double vision. Um, you know, the Midwest, uh, international relations is not really well known in the Midwest. Um, so I, I, I thought that, uh, you know, we went through the figures, we went through the statistics, and I put forward the proposal uh, that if we establish an international relations uh, program here, then those from Kansas, Nebraska, the Dakotas, um, you know, certain parts of Iowa, uh, Oklahoma, you know, if they wanted to Wyoming, uh, Montana, if they wanted to study international relations, that we could we could we could really grow the program um, to 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 service uh, those communities and those desires. And I've I've been very pleased with it. I've been very pleased with it uh, already. Within five years, uh, with um, the graduating classes that we've had, uh, we have someone who uh, is now at Stanford uh, Law School, um, and they. They were able to secure the uh, Knight Tennessee scholarship, so that's all paid for them. 
right? That was, that's a very, very happy man. <laughs> um, and uh, just in the last couple of weeks, I've heard back from uh, other former students, one who will be applying to Columbia University, uh, working on Belarusian affairs, um, and uh, two others uh, that have um, gained admission into American University and um, Monterey, uh, I'm sorry, Middlebury uh, Institute for International Affairs out in California. So um, I, I'm I'm pretty pleased. I'm pretty pleased with the with the harvest that's been that's been happening. And um, again, seeing that vision being made into reality. You should be, Chris. I mean, not only are you the founding founding director of the program, you're 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 planting seeds, watching them grow, and you know, even even that student that's going to go to Columbia now, where you went, you never know what that path may be. Like they may come back and actually be just like you at your school. So that's, that's incredible on multiple levels. Um, it, it, it is, it's amazing to see when you can have a passion for something and you can bring that passion to others who share that same passion and then it just continues to spread. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not one who, um, was always into history, um, I think partially because I didn't learn enough of our history. Um, a lot of the history that I learned in school was, like you said, very uh, European and less Afrocentric. I wish if I had, go, had gone back to Brown now in my life, I would have been Afro-American studies major or something like that, just to learn about all the things I didn't learn when I was in, in grade school, because there were so many things that I'm learning now. Like, why am I learning about this stuff now? I mean, we have the internet and that helps clearly, but a lot of things that are in history that are not in our books about us and our people and, you know, other minorities just weren't, they weren't taught in school. So I think that's why I didn't have a real knack for learning it because I didn't really feel invested in it, but you um, and your passion for it, even from, from the jump, from the beginning, uh, just, just, just whenever you share stories with me, and I remember so many of them because they were all things that I did not know. <laughs> um, it always opened my eyes to the, the bigger world that, that we're a part of. Um, and, and the fact that you're out there now teaching that to others, uh, just bodes so much for your character and for your love of, of, of the history that is, and you're making history now with other students. So, um, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. Um, now my, my question for you now is, I always say, I always say, I always say that the real history of the world is more exciting than the history that we've taught. We've been taught. Yeah, we pull back the curtains, and we're like, "Oh, that's connected to this. This is connected to that." Um, we often talk about a globalized world in 2000. Well, ever since the early 2000s, um, but for a long time, the world has been much more globalized than we've ever given it credit for. Going back to antiquity, yeah. and when you see those connections, well, again, not everyone's going to fall in love with history, but um, but I I always say the real history of the world is actually more exciting than we think. It's true. You're absolutely right. And and again, I I wish I had been exposed to that reality earlier. Um, I think I appreciate it now more because I I see the world clearly differently. Um, And the world has changed around us so much. And, you know, having, having children also change your perspective of how you look at things clearly too. So um, I think what you're doing is great. Um, I'm curious though, what you the lessons you teach your students now about international relations, looking at the last four years that we've seen this current administration, looking at how the U.S. has been um, seen by other countries, and you've been in other countries and, and represented the U.S., um, I'm sure, in various ways over the last couple of years. Um, what are some of the lessons you teach your students about um, international relations in terms of how people see us and how we interact with others as, as Americans? Yeah. Um, excellent question. So um, I'll start here. Um, the, one of the main factors and aspects that I present to my students is the fact that the U.S. is not an island. We're not alone. We're not alone. Um, I think, and everyone, of course, has their opinion on this, but in the last um, several years, yes, with the current administration, but then even going back, I would say, to at least the end of the Cold War in 1990, um, we tend to, uh, there, there's this kind of famous uh, book, Francis Fukuyama, 
um, who teaches at Stanford, and his famous uh, essay and thereafter book called The End of History. And whereas I agree with, with many premises from Fukuyama, um, he is correct in that there is this kind of triumphalism, right? The U.S. won the Cold War, and since we won the Cold War, then we know what's best for the world, and if we know what's best for the world, then the world should follow us. Um, I present to a lot of students um, Huntington's theories, Samuel Huntington's theories. He's, he's late, he, uh, but he, he was a political scientist at uh, Harvard University for many years and up until the, um, the years just uh, after the Cold War. And uh, he put forward his famous clash of civilizations, basically saying that people have their traditions and people have their histories. And uh, they're not going to lay them down just because of U.S. superpowers status, right? Um, yes, we won the Cold War. Yes, we were victorious. But, you know, there's this balance that we have to achieve of respecting other people. While, of course, I mean, because this, this is how nation states, they, they operate. Each nation state looks out for its own interests, its economic interests, its military interests, what have you. But the, 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 the capacity to balance these things, not to be uh, so selfish as to destabilize the world. And that's what's going on right now. That's what's going on right now. Um, we've kind of allowed greed and selfishness to destabilize the very system that we need to become a superpower. We are a superpower because other people agree to tie their international interests to ours. The moment they cease to do that, you can beat on your chest all you want, USA number one. The moment the people leave and you have no more friends on the playground to play with, it's over. It's over. <laughs> and and I, I just, what I really would like my students to understand as they go through the courses and everything and achieve their degree in, in international relations, you have to understand this balance of, yes, you're looking out for um, uh, Americans and what we need here as a nation, but you have to balance that with respect of other people. You cannot just simply bulldoze over other people and say, we're number one, and then when they leave, you have no one to buy your products. <laughs> okay, right? You need, you need, you, you. countries are, are like individuals. It's, it's shocking how, how more than similar, almost the same that they are. If I go to a group of people and I insult them and I smack them around, okay? And then I say, oh, by the way, support me. No, they're not going to support me. I'll be lucky enough to, to leave, leave the area alive. <laughs> okay. And so we're the same way. We may be the biggest player in the world, but we're the biggest player to a large degree because others choose to play with us. If others do not choose to play with us, we will be alone with the kickball in our hands, searching around with no one to come to our aid. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's one of the greatest things that I, uh, that I, I try to put forward to, to my students, uh, both in advising them as they go through the program and what have you. Um, and I, I just can't emphasize it more strongly because yeah. um, right now we have, we have kicked people in the teeth globally and we still expect them to play with us. Yeah. And what happens when they come to the day where they say, no, we're tired, we're off. What happens then? So that's, that's very, very important in my eyes. Yeah, I think a number of people would agree with you with that sentiment that, you know, it's, it's the same it's the same notion you have when you're in kindergarten, you know, do unto others. He wasn't doing to you. Like, you know, I'm not going to kick you in the face. And then especially they have the same thing to me. We have to be respectful. And if you want one thing done, you got to do the other thing. And, you know, it has to be vice versa. So um, I hope that the next administration, whoever it may be, um, will continue to at least mend those connections we have with our international brothers and sisters, because so many things, can happen collectively, you know, as a world. When we're divided, that's when we have all these different issues. And even with the COVID-19 stuff, seeing how various patients have handled um, COVID rates that have been rising, 
and, and shutting down places that needed to be shut down, you know, adequately, they've done that. And we could have learned some things from other places uh, a lot faster than we did. So it, it'd be good to have that, that connection back with our, with our contacts, just to make sure that we're all on the mm-hmm. same page. Especially with a worldwide thing like this, we shouldn't be isolated in terms of how we're responding to it. Um, so I, I was it's necessary, it's not right. optional. It's necessary. It's right. not optional. It's necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dr. Banks, I know you have done some work also with Afghan police reform. And mm-hmm. I was curious because, uh, you know, I, I've been doing some research, at least with the, the SARS that's been happening in Nigeria. And, um, you know, we, there have been things happening, not just internationally, but also, of course, in, in, in the U.S. with Black Lives Matter and all of the other um, race uh, related incidents that are happening around the world. Um, what are your thoughts on Nigeria right now, for one? Um, and then two, talking about police reform, because that kind of can be applied there and here. Um, what are your thoughts on police reform in terms of how we should be handling things, even during this Black Lives Matter movement, when so many things have been brought to the surface, but still things are not being done? Yeah. Yeah, no, excellent question. Um, the the thoughts that I have uh, are even similar to what we just discussed. You can't abuse people and expect to be a stronger nation. That goes for the United States. That goes for Nigeria. So just to explain quickly, um, SARS, uh, S-A-R-S, the acronym SARS in Nigeria, is the um, kind of elite police force that's in Nigeria. Nigeria has about 180 million uh, people. Um, the focus ethnically, um, Nigeria has well over 50, 60 ethnic groups, but there's always uh, what I always call the big three. Uh, you have the Hausa in the north, um, you have the Yoruba in the southwest, you have the Igbo in the southeast. Uh, if anyone looks at a map of Nigeria, Nigeria is trisected by two rivers. You have the Niger River, flowing from the northwest to the south of the country. Uh, and then you have the Binwe River that flows from the northeast into the Niger River. So Nigeria is really geographically divided by these two rivers into three parts. And the big three ethnic groups correspond to roughly, rough correspondence to each section. The Hausa are in the north, um, again, the Yoruba in the southwest, the Igbo are in the southeast. Um, there's also a part called the South-South, which is right at the uh, Niger River Delta, where the Niger River flows into the Atlantic Ocean, or the Gulf of Guinea portion of the Atlantic Ocean. And um, that's where the oil is, right? That's where the oil is. <laughs> so Nigeria is a huge oil-producing uh, country. Um, it usually ranks around the first or second largest oil producer on the African continent. Um, Uh, That oil is very key, along with Middle Eastern oil, obviously, that oil is very key to the way the global economy runs. Um, So you really want a peaceful Nigeria. You really want a peaceful Nigeria. Um, What's happening here is that the elite police force um, in Nigeria has abused their power for over several decades. By abusing their power, um, you know, there is very little confidence for the average Nigerian that when uh, a problem needs to be solved, a crime needs to be looked into, um, they're supposed to call on uh, SARS, police force, to assist. No one trusts them. No one trusts them. Um, no one trusts them at all. Um, my, my, my wife was raised in a city of Jos, J-O-S, uh, in, in central Nigeria. Um, and no one, no one, there is no confidence that instead of SARS being seen as a government uh, force at the service of the people, um, it's, uh, pretty much, uh, flipped, you know, and people see it as the hand of the government to suppress them and to keep them down. Um, let's be very open here and say, that with the Black Lives Matter movement, especially after the killing of George Floyd by the police officer in Minneapolis, uh, is it not the same feeling, right? Instead of the police force being at the service of certain communities in the United States, 
Instead, they're seen as being the hand of the government against those communities. Any government that is not seen for the service of the people but against the people, you will incite protests, riots, and the like. Um, that does not make for a stable society, right? So this is what's happening in Nigeria. Um, the interesting thing is that usually because of different ethnic sensitivities in Nigeria, um, people usually stay in their own ethnic corners. And uh, But this, the protests against SARS, has actually united Nigerians across ethnicities, which is something that um, that's not seen all too often. Um, so one would hope that the government would be able to address this and not to just simply say, oh, it's certain ethnicities. Uh, hopefully the government can understand that the anger stretches across um, Nigerian societies and especially in the urban areas. Um, and in a nation of 180 million people, you do not want your urban areas to be on fire. That's not what you want. <laughs> right? So um, hopefully the, the current government can, can assess and, and see this. And so there are a lot of similarities between what's going on in Nigeria, what happened in the United States over the summer, and many other places around the world. Um, and I guess the lesson is you just don't want to destabilize society. You want people to have confidence in units, police units that are supposed to be for them and not against them. You do not want abuse. You do not want abuse. No one wants to be abused. Mm. Last question before the break. If you could change one thing, since I know you did some research on police reform, um, and there have been a number of people talking about defunding and all these other things, but if you could change one thing, and if you had the sole right to do it um, and money was not the issue, what would be one thing that you would change that you think would be maybe the catalyst that we would need for these situations that are happening in Nigeria and even happening here uh, to be a little more controlled? Yeah. Um, well, Again, again, only, only a few thoughts here. One thing that I would probably focus upon would be to have uh, accountability within these forces, police forces, um, that if there is, they have to do their job. That's well understood. They have to do their job. Uh, I'm not for defunding, to be honest with you, because that. I don't, I don't feel that that's the best answer to what needs to be done. I think what needs to be done is you need to, one needs to flush out a mentality in these police forces, a mentality of impunity, right? That's what's happening um, in police forces across the world and even in many local jurisdictions here in the United States. The police force, it's a club, right? Um, now, it's a hard job, right? It's, it's, not, it's not patty cake. It's a very hard job. But at the same time, um, with, with split-second decisions that need to be made, if, if impunity, if a police officer acts with impunity and abuses, they have to be released from the force. They have to be released from the force. And, and, and you cannot release uh, police officers. Um, that, will, that will help uh, create trust between the community and the, and the police force. When you see, as in the case of Breonna Taylor, and, and countless other situations, far too many uh, that have happened, where a police force does something that any one of us would be thrown into jail, but then they get away scot-free, and they're put on me for two weeks, and they come back to the police force, and they still have their pay. That, what kind of message does that send? Right? So one thing that I would zero on is you do your job well, promotion. You act with impunity, demotion, or firing. And there needs to be that accountability. And the friendship between the attorneys general um, and police forces, that has to be looked at as well. It cannot be a clique. It cannot be a club. Mm. Right? Mm. It's, a, it's a public service. And so we have to have confidence that that public service works for the public. Mm. Well said, sir. If you were just joining us at this time, folks, for episode 34 of the Be More Today show, I'm here with my guest, Dr. Christopher Banks, director of this National Relations BA program at Union College in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, my Brown University friend and the smartest guy that I know. Uh, now, Dr. Banks, I need to know, I've been asking everybody on the show, this is episode 34 now, and we have about six more shows to go before the season's over. So we've had a lot of people give input onto this. But when you hear the phrase, Be More Today, what does the phrase be more today mean to you? Nice. Yeah. So be more today is exactly, maybe I'm being too simplistic here, but this thing is exactly what it says. 
you know, never stop growing. That's what Be More Today means to me. Never stop growing. No one knows it all, but the beauty of life is to continually expand one, your mind and, t- and continually to grow, uh, continue to learn. It's a big universe out there, right? Um, don't stop. So Be More Today means to grow, to expand, and in the things that you love and to, and to, to relish in that and to, and, to, and, and to really live that vibrant life. Mm, well said now i don't know if you know this um i wrote a book called be more today a 40-day guide to a better version of you i wrote it actually about a year ago thank you sir and uh it's it's a book that basically is i mean it's almost devotional style i was kind of inspired to do it based on um a number of different books, but the purpose driven life was one of them. And, um, it basically gives us or gives people a chance to start one thing in their lives, stop one thing in their lives or have some kind of goal for their lives and takes like a four day journey to get those things done. Um, so I'm curious, Dr. Banks, uh, and you can apply this either to this year or to 2021 coming up. Um, one thing that you wanted to start doing either for this year or for next year. Hmm. Man, there's many things I would like to start. <laughs> um, boy, just one, huh? <laughs> Sound like Reese's Pieces. Can you just do one? <laughs> the, um, um, maybe let's, let's, let's say this. Uh, and I know this may sound a bit kind of light, but, but I'm, I'm very sincere in, in this point. Um, what I would like to start is I would like to kind of start maybe more of a community connection with what we're doing and bringing more um, people of color into international relations um, and, and, and maybe just getting the word out there a little more um, of what this field is about and what, what, you know, and not people of color, yes, but then anyone really, you know, to know what this field is about. And, and why it's so necessary uh, in the American context, right? Mm. I know that's probably not the first thing that came to most people's minds, but, but that, that's, uh, that's something that's, that's really, really big for me. Again, these last four years have really pummeled the international system, and we, we need more uh, Americans and especially more people of color to uh, go into this field to make a stronger America worldwide. Mm. You know? What's one thing that you want to stop doing? Well, um, you know, I can afford to do a little more running. Right? So, I don't know, maybe stop eating Reese's Pieces. That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> I know everyone, everyone does that gym resolution at the start of the year, and I'll probably do it too. Yeah. Um, but I, I actually would like to fulfill it this upcoming year. That'd be That'd be nice. I think my clothes would thank me. (laughs) (laughs) And then one goal you may have for either this year or for 2021. Hmm. Again, just one goal, huh? Um, Okay. One one deep goal that I would like uh, to do is to, you know, make sure that again, this this sounds all interesting and cliche, but uh, I would I would like to maybe maybe write a book, maybe write a book. I don't have any time, but I'd like to try to find some <laughs> and, and at least again kind of you know get the word out there about um, what what our system, what our global political system is going through, and uh, just kind of raise raise awareness and just show how what the world is going through is attached to kitchen table politics. You know, when we gather around the kitchen table and we're looking at the bills and we're, we're measuring out, okay, uh, you know, this is for the kids and this is for the house and everything. Uh, I, I would like to spread more awareness about what we do every day with our own household budget is very much connected to what happens in the world. Cause I, I think there's just a disconnect. People are like, Oh, that's the world. It's far and it's over there. And this is my life, and I know it, and so I'm going to stick over here. Um, but these two things are absolutely, absolutely connected. And so I would like to raise more awareness for the rest of my life, really, but especially in this upcoming year, um, 
depending on how the election, well, I'll do it no matter who wins the next election. But just wanting people to know that, you know, what we do in our homes around the kitchen table and as we try to take care of our lives and our kids' lives is completely intimately connected to what's going on in Russia over there. They're not separated. They're not separated at all. You know, whatever happens internationally is going to affect your job. It's going to affect uh, your, your budget. It's going to affect the money you bring back home. It affects, right? We're, we're not an island. You know, if China sneezes, we catch a cold, right? If Russia invades uh, Belarus, if they choose to do it, that's going to affect several wheat prices. That will affect so much. Your bread will go up. So, you know, this, we have to start caring. I'm not saying that everyone needs to be an expert and have some undying love for foreign affairs. But just on a very basic fundamental level, uh, we have to see that what happens overseas literally makes the price of bread rise in the grocery store. And so, you know, if you don't want the price of bread to rise, then we need to at least tell our representatives that, hey, um, I'm not stupid. I know what's going on overseas. It's going to affect my budget here at home. Therefore, I want you to take this position with, with uh, Russia. I want you to take this position with, uh, with China mm-hmm. because it's going to affect me and my family. So I want to raise more awareness um, both next year and any of the years that uh, God gives me on this earth to raise awareness about them. No, it's funny you mentioned that because a lot of people that I've spoken to uh, of all ages look at the election and even things that happen in politics as not affecting them at all. They say, well, it's not going to affect me at all. It's not going to affect my day to day. It's not going to affect what I do. Or, you know, and, and I think I even had that same sentiment sometimes. Not, not often, but I've, I've also, you know, because we all live in this insular bubble that your nine to five is all you have, your family is all there is. As long as you're controlling what you can control, that's what it's about. But like you said, there's so many things that will affect schools, uh, our, our billing system, you know, how we get paid, when we get paid, the, our gas, our, you know, our ability to access these things. It's all connected to what's happening internationally and how we interact with our brothers and sisters who are across seas that will affect us in the long run as well. So I, I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people, I think, have that same sentiment that it doesn't matter what happens on Capitol Hill or what happens in D.C. because they don't control my paycheck. You know, I, I do what I have to do. I clock in, I clock out. But in actuality, it does affect at some point in time. It does trickle down to what they're doing. So I'm glad you mentioned that. That's a, yeah, yeah. What they do on Capitol Hill will affect the business that employs you. And if they pass something on Capitol Hill and make it into law and sign it into law, and your, the cost of the business that employs you goes up, Guess who's the first one fired, right? All of a sudden, it hits home, but then it's too late, right? If, if something happens overseas and the price of gas goes up or the price of oil goes up and you need to get to work and you have a limited amount of funding in, in your household budget for gas, but then gas goes up, you should probably care about what's happening in Iran. <laughs> you should probably care about what's happening. Uh, and again, I'm not saying that everyone needs to go out there and become some overnight expert on it, but be aware that it does affect your household budget, that it does affect your grocery shopping, that it does affect your employer. And if your employer needs to save money because what will happen overseas, then that's going to affect your employment, right? So no, no, it is deeply, deeply, deeply connected, deeply connected. Mm Dr. Banks, any final tips or advice you want to share with aspiring international relations students or followers or people who are trying to get to where you are uh, at this point in time? Yeah, come see me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know I'm, I'm more than happy to um, help out with any advice or any discussion. I love to brainstorm. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, go ahead and uh, look me up on, on the website, uh, Union College website, and I'm more than happy to, um, you know, I, I'm happy to make myself available. I'm never too busy for that. I'm never too busy for that. Great. Where can people connect with you on social media or otherwise? Sure, yeah. Um, social media. I'm not really the best of my Instagram account or, uh, or Twitter. Um, 
I guess uh, I'm maybe a bit slightly old-fashioned in this, um, but uh, best way to connect, um, I'll put it this way, uh, christopher.banks at ucollege.edu. Yes, it's an email. Yes, we still use that. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I will uh, definitely get uh, get Twitter going for, for the department soon. Uh, but yeah, first name Christopher dot last name Banks at ucollege.edu. I'm putting my email out there. I don't mind. I get hundreds of emails a day, but I will answer yours. <laughs> awesome. Dr. Banks, thank you so much for joining us today on episode of Be More Today show. You have made episode 34 perfect. And uh, we appreciate the work that you're doing. And hopefully we'll see you uh, sometime for our next season. And we'll see what's going on with the program. And we'll get some updates on how you guys have been doing out there. And uh, we're looking forward to doing that for sure. That'll be great. Happy, happy to be back. Happy to be back. Awesome. Folks, don't forget our quotation from today. It's very, very simple by our hero, uh, the late, great Chadwick Boseman, uh, Black Panther for all. He said, purpose is an essential element of you. It's the reason you are on this planet at this particular time in history. Your very existence is wrapped up in the things you are here to fulfill. Uh, the banks told you guys you have to go out there and fulfill a lot of things. So do your research, uh, go online, read the papers, see what's happening around you. Uh, and don't be idle. Uh, make your voices heard, whether it's through voting or uh, just going to your local councilman and just seeing what's happening in your area. We all have a duty to go out there and make sure that we make the world a better place. And if we all do it, if we all do a little something, something, then we'll see some progress. So get out there and let your purpose be known. And let's make these things happen together. Uh, for those of you who have been following us on the Be Worse Show, we appreciate all your love and support. We thank you for your your emails and your social media posts and even your donations for our Be More Today friends and family. Thank you so much for plugging this show for us. We are at episode 34 now and it's been an awesome journey. Uh, and we are now heard in 26 countries. So it's moving, grooving, trying to be international. Like Dr. Banks said, that's what we're trying to do here. So let's continue to do it into the new year. Uh, we're going to have episode 40. That's going to happen at some point in time. And after that, we'll be taking a little break. But for until then, you can keep following us and be more today on Facebook and Instagram and our website, which is bemoretoday.com uh, for all information about our music, uh, my book, which is on Amazon as well, and our podcast information, which you guys know, which is on all media platforms. Uh, for those of you who want to continue to follow us for our workouts, you can go on uh, YouTube and look at Be More Today. We are putting workouts out there every single Sunday for you guys to enjoy on your own. So go out there and be active. And don't forget our Strava page is live. It is live and moving. So if you are a biker or a runner, uh, like Dr. Banks wants to be, you can join our Strava group and you can be a part of our running group. You can see what I'm doing, what the other people are doing as well to keep you always on the move. Uh, the Be More Today show is found on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, and Google Play. And like I said, we are in 26 countries, folks, and growing every single day. So thank you for your support. We've already hit two thousand downloads since february so thank you so much for supporting us and if you want to support us financially you can go on to the be more today page and you can donate uh anything from a dollar or not will be appreciated and that will help us to keep moving the show forward and for us to bring on more guests and to, to pay for you know the lights that are in my apartment <laughs> just kidding um but for us just to keep pushing forward we really appreciate all your love if you want to see somebody on the show or you have questions for someone that you saw on the show you can email us directly at be more the number two day at gmo.com or you can send some messages on any of our media platforms i check that stuff every day so see what's going on the words for life podcast is live is live every single wednesday if you're looking for some uplifting words of encouragement check out my boy t farrell on the words for life podcast every single wednesday he's putting out great content every wednesday for you guys so continue to follow them and subscribe to their pages um that's going to be on uh facebook and on Instagram and on YouTube as well. So be active folks and continue to follow us. We appreciate it. And I want to announce right now, you can hear it first, actually, that be more today. We're doing our 40 day challenge to be more today challenge. You're going to hear it here first, January 1st. We're going to be doing a 40-day challenge that's going to start with a 5K, a virtual 5K. For those who want to stay virtual and in person, it'll be just with me. So we're going to be doing, uh, for the virtual people who are like in Nebraska, like Dr. Banks, you can do a virtual 5K starting with uh, me on January 1st. Or if you want to be in person with me, it will be at a 
uh, location that will be announced at a different point in time. But yes, January 1st, we're going to start our 40-day challenge, healthy living, healthy lifestyles. you hear more about it next week, but continue to just follow us. And let's end this year stronger than we started and go into next year uh, on the highest of notes. All right. So as I always say, folks, have a good day. Have a good night, have a great life, and continue to take your steps to greatness to be the best version of you. Peace.